Hello, and welcome to the Great Birth Rebellion podcast, where we grapple with current research to help you get the best out of your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journey while still challenging the dominant birth culture. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Jackson at Melanie the Midwife, and I'm joined weekly by my co-host, B from Core and Flora Store, and this is The Great Birth Rebellion. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of The Great Birth Rebellion. Today, I'm speaking about a topic very close to my heart. We're talking about free birth. And for those of you who've been here for a while, you'll know that my PhD and academic work focuses on the choice uh, to give birth outside the system, and that includes the decision to free birth. And I know many, many women who have chosen to free birth. Some have been my clients, some are my friends. So please know that we're we're coming at this topic with the same intention as we would any other episode of the Great Birth Rebellion, to give information and respect to all birth options that are available to women. The choices that women make are their own and they have every right to choose what they feel is best and safest for them. So this episode will not be challenging a woman's right to choose their own birth journey. And I'm here today with Charlotte King, who is a journalist and reporter from the ABC here in Australia. She spent the large part of her year looking into the topic of free birth, and what first started out as an exploration into free birth and why women choose it, turned into something that Charlotte was not really expecting. So we're basically offering a conversation about that work today. But before we start, I want to give a bit of background because free birth sometimes gets confused and muddled in the birth world. Uh, So just to clarify, a free birth is where a woman intentionally plans to give birth outside of a hospital without the assistance or guidance of a registered healthcare provider. Essentially, a woman a woman chooses to give birth at home or not in a hospital without having a midwife, doctor or professional health attendant present at her birth. And there's lots of reasons why women do this, which we'll discuss through the, the podcast. Uh, some women hire doulas or what this new term is birth keepers or free birth keepers to attend them as service providers. So just to clarify too, that doulas are not clinically trained to be able to give maternity care or medical advice. So they're considered birth supporters rather than having any responsibility or jurisdiction over giving actual clinical care or acting in an emergency. And even for myself as a home birth midwife, I do get calls sometimes from people inquiring, like, what's the difference between a home birth midwife and a doula? Uh, There's a lot of difference. So midwives are registered and regulated, which means that we hold formal training in the form of a university degree. And home birth midwives have to have at least 5,000 hours of clinical work behind them before they can even head out and start attending home birth. So Midwives, highly clinically trained, university educated, registered and regulated. So there's a a standard, a quality standard that has to be maintained. Um, That isn't in place for doulas and other birth workers. And honestly, doulas are often very, very highly educated. They spend their entire careers learning about pregnancy, birth and postpartum, very knowledgeable because of the amount of self-directed learning that they've done and the amount of births that they attend. 
uh, but they don't have the clinical experience of a midwife or doctor. So they're not a replacement. Sometimes doulas attend free births, but they're not there in a clinical role. So because of my research in this area and also here with Charlotte, we do have an understanding of how sensitive this topic can be and we will seek to do our absolute best to cater to these sensitivities as we explore this topic today. There will be people listening today who wholeheartedly endorse free birth and there will be others who don't understand it at all. So this episode is for us all as women, as birth workers and for the public to help expand our view and scope of this topic. So having said that, this episode of The Great Birth Rebellion seeks to understand the work that Charlotte King and her team have been executing over the last eight months. And this episode is not intended to discourage or encourage free birth practices, but rather to understand what Charlotte and her team have learned through this investigative process And what we're presenting today are real stories. They happen to real people. And so we share them with compassion and kindness and without blame. And we extend our sympathies to all families whose birth resulted in either the mother or baby coming to harm or death. And it's very hard to know where to start with this. I really just want to do this justice. And for women who choose free birth and also honour the truths and realities of this choice, And it can be the absolute height of the human birthing experience to have a free birth, but also can have the same consequences as birth in any location that a mum or baby might not survive. So with that introduction, I'd like to introduce my guest today, ABC reporter Charlotte King. Welcome, Charlotte. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. So before we start, I'd love to, if you could give us a brief introduction about who you are and the work that you do in your, that you've been doing through your career. Sure. Well, I've been a journalist with the ABC for about 12 years. Um, And uh, over that time, I've worked as a news journalist in uh, local bureaus, like in Mildura, um, in Victoria and regional Victoria, where I used to live, Ballarat, Melbourne. But the last couple of years, I have been working um, in something called ABC Regional Investigations, which is the team of two of us. And we generally work with reporters in regional bureau around the country who have a story that's a bit bigger than what they can sort of handle, needs a bit more research, evidence, you know, what we call talent, which is people to talk to the story on, on record. And they need help really building that up and developing it so that it's a national story and it gets onto a national platform like, you know, ABC News on like networked across the country or on like audio current affairs like the AM, PM, The World Today, those kinds of programs, or even Four Corners and Background Briefing. So we generally work with those reporters in those smaller bureaus to build up their stories. But on this in this occasion, this story that we did was a little bit different and I ended up being the reporter, which I used to do more of but not so much anymore, more I usually I do research. And that happened because, as you know, the ABC did this birth project, which was like an audience call out asking women for their experiences of birth. Um, And that project was done by another couple of journalists, but they had just so much of a response from the public. So many women wanted to write in with their experiences that they just didn't know how to handle (laughs) the, the amount of information. So they recruited other people from around the ABC to help and they had this sort of grouped the submissions into different topics and one of the topics was free birth 
And so I offered to take on that job. Free birth was something that I hadn't really looked into before. I found it really fascinating. Um, and I had done a couple of bigger birth stories already for um, programs like background briefing. I'd done two that looked specifically at different aspects of birth. One was about um, the difference in stillbirth rates in regional areas of Australia. And we had two really sad case studies of mothers whose babies had died because of hospital negligence um, and medical uh, failures in regional hospitals in Australia. And we looked at all the other sort of access problems for women in regional areas in terms of, you know, the a lot of hospitals have stopped providing maternity services at all. So they have to travel long distances. There's very few home birth options. And we, yeah, we focused in on this very sad um, fact that regional babies living, babies living in regional areas are still more likely to be stillborn than metropolitan babies. And generally the mothers who are caught up, I mean, there can be a range of reasons for this, but in the cases that we looked at, it was medical negligence. One of the hospitals apologised off the back of our story. And the mother had never been given an opportunity to have a proper debrief about it. Um, and it was just shocking the treatment that she had received from that hospital and the the medical staff there. It was kind of indescribable the 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 trauma that she had. So that was that story. And then we have done others, um, another round racism in the healthcare system directed at Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women and the decisions for some of those women to disengage with health services as a result of that. That was a really fascinating story that I did with Carly Williams, who's a Kwandamooka woman from of south, southern Queensland. And that, again, was about hospital failings around the way that they deal with cultural safety. So I've already, I've already had an interest in birth, but I hadn't really looked at free birth yet. So I really wanted to get stuck into that new topic. Yeah, amazing. And you're right, that birth project just blew out. I can imagine there's so much data there to be talking about birth for years and years and years. And certainly what's been in the news of late are the massive shortfallings that we have in the Australian maternity care system and a few of the articles you highlighted and also the the current inquiry into birth trauma is really shining a light on the massive shortfalls that we have in the maternity care system. And so I see this kind of story as not dissimilar to the the light that gets shined on the current failings in maternity care system. You know, home, I'm a home birth midwife. Every time a home birth story comes up in the news, I'm like, oh, here we go again. We're all going to talk about how bad home birth is, you know, and then obviously now we've got we've got a renewed sort of media interest in the topic of free birth so i wanted to ask you about what's the purpose of your work as a journalist what's the intention of journalism uh cuz you know this free birth story the chatter online and and from the public you know they're talking about it as being a, a witch hunt and kind of really negatively highlighting issues within free birth but what's the what do you see the purpose of this journalistic investigation to be well the purpose of it overall i guess is to really investigate what is happening and to look at any problems that are there um that the public should know about 
So that's, I think, the case with a lot of journalism is this idea of what does the public need to know. Um, And so originally when we started looking at free birth, we were going off the back of submissions to the birth project. And so we contacted women who had submitted to that with their stories. Many of them had had a, a prior experience in hospital that they were really unhappy about. And they chose to free birth off the back of that. Some weren't able to access a home birth. Um, and so free birth wasn't their first choice, but they ended up having a free birth anyway and having a fantastic experience. So we were really interested in that, but our our purpose as journalists is not to advertise anything. <laughs> so we wouldn't go out and do a story that just advertises free birth as a fantastic um experience, particularly if there is any evidence of risk. So we went into this thinking we have to be careful about what kind of story we're going to tell. So we don't want to gloss over the risks that are there. But also the main thing we wanted to know was why are women doing this? Because, you know, we do have an advanced medical system in Australia. Um, Why would women want to disengage with that completely? It's an interesting area to look at as you know because you did your PhD on it um so yeah the point was not to was to look at why women were doing this and what and to to kind of diagnose you know for the for the most part it seemed like women who had written in had wanted had preferred a home birth you know they, they would have liked to have had a home birth with a midwife but they couldn't access one so they had a free birth but then uh, some of them, it wasn't, it was a bit of a grey area and actually they were really happy not to have had a midwife there. And I found that really interesting because I thought um, that was not something I was expecting. I assumed, well, of course you would want a midwife, wouldn't you? Because midwives know how to know how to help you have a baby. But um, then I became aware of this whole other element to free birth, which is really so, um, so so much about reclaiming something that is, you know, absolutely not a medical event that any representation or any representative of the medical community is not welcome there. And that I found interesting. But that was, again, not so much the focus because, you know, like you said, women have a right to birth how and where they choose. So if a woman was going to do that really to the point where she was just with her partner or a sister or whatever, I thought that's not really our our place to look into that as journalists. It's very private. What was interesting to me and what I did think was a public issue um, and still do is when free birth doulas or birth keepers advertise services publicly to attend those births. So that seemed like a pretty different kettle of fish to me and the people I was working with because suddenly there was a transaction going on, there was money involved, you know, which is fair enough. Everyone needs to make a living. But when you have that service that is advertised and you have a promise there for people around what you can provide in a very vulnerable moment, um, which is birth, particularly for first-time mothers and their babies, I think it it is valid to ask questions about how safe that service is. Um, And so we were really interested when we discovered, because that was totally new to me, that there were people advertising those services to attend free births without specifically without a midwife there. And that was their sort of point of difference. And I think, you know, as as I said, women have a choice, absolutely have a right to choose where and how they birth, including choosing a birth keeper or a doula and not a midwife. Um, but when there is uh, when there is that service there and it's publicly available and there's a fee attached to it, 
um, and we're talking about birth and women and babies, I do think it's worth looking at that. And so then your initial thought wasn't let's look into free birth and women who free birth, your interest pretty quickly moved into uh, the industry of free birth. Is that Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it did start out as interested in women who free birth. Why are they doing that? Is it because, you know, is there something that the public should know about that we need to fix Mm -hmm. because women are doing this? But then it became um, clear that, that, yeah, that wasn't really the story. What the story seemed to be more about because women, you know, some women were were choosing free birth with a free birth doula when they could have accessed a midwife. Mm -hmm. And so then it was like, okay, there's something else actually happening here. Um, and let's just look at this dynamic generally of women who are choosing to free birth with a doula and why they're doing that, because that's that's bigger than just, oh, I can't access a home birth midwife in my area. And it's actually deeper. Like there's more going on and different levels around, you know, distrust of the medical system, distrust of institutions generally post-COVID, um, you know, radicalisation of these kinds of um uh, attitudes online and through social media, there's all kinds of layers to it instead of a woman just saying, I want a home birth, but I can't access a midwife, so I'm going to have a free birth. Right. And certainly that was the, the whole question of why do women free birth was the whole question for my thesis, what motivates women to birth outside the system? So, you know, what you have already described in terms of why do women free birth there are a small, when I did my research, there are a small proportion of women who just wanted to. They were like, I didn't consider any other birth options. That's just always what I was going to do. And certainly that's completely valid. That's a reason. 100%. And a large proportion did report, probably 80% of the women that I interviewed for my thesis reported that they would have loved to have had a midwife present but for various reasons, either cost, distance, or they didn't like the midwife who was local or whatever, you know, obviously I wrote 100,000 words on this exact topic. You can read it. I'll put it in the in the show notes. Everybody can read the thesis or articles if you want to. But there was a significant proportion, a bigger proportion that actually would have loved to have had the input of a healthcare provider, but for various reasons, there was barriers. So, well, let's focus on what your what your activities discovered. So can you tell us about what sort of started to unfurl as you looked deeper and deeper, you know, as you went through the layers of this? Well, I actually, um, I wasn't, we weren't aware of sort of how popular this dynamic was becoming with hiring a free birth doula or a birth keeper until we actually became aware of our first death. Um, And then, yeah, which was with a student doula in attendance. And I was sort of like, oh, what is a student doula? (laughs) You know, I didn't realise there was such a thing that that women, you know, who are getting trained in these doula courses, uh, some of these doula courses are then regarded as like a student doula straight after they've finished the course for a period of time until they've done a few births, you know, depends on the course as to how it works but in this particular case this that was what was going on and this doula had just finished her course and then attended this free birth um with a first-time mother and the birth ended in a stillbirth and the from what we understand it occurred during labor which as you know is very rare in Australia um and so we were 
shocked to hear about that, but also that introduced us to the world of not only sort of student doulas, but their trainers and these sort of new uh, courses that are really kind of pumping out doulas uh, and there is this industry around it. And that was new to me. There's actually an industry around this. It's not just women quietly free birthing at home in the quiet of their own private space, you know, with their loved ones around them. There's there's actually an industry here. And what does that industry involve? I've never heard of any of these people or all these courses or these trainers. And so we just started getting right into that world and learning who, you know, the who's who of that world. And as as we looked into it more and spoke to more people, we learned about more sad outcomes. Mm. And, you know, some of these were posted about publicly. And we spoke with some of the doulas who had been at these births that had ended in deaths. And they were open about the fact that a baby had died, but they didn't want to talk on record about it. And yeah, in most instances, there was a sense that it would it was they wouldn't have done anything differently, basically. So again, that that made me think, well, this seems like um, you know, a problem because in any context where birth happens, if there's a terrible outcome, usually there's some kind of reflection on what happened and whether we can avoid that happening again. And what seemed to me to be a problem and others that I spoke with, many, many people who had concerns about it, is that there was no reflection on it um, or there didn't appear to be one. And it seemed to be painted as, oh, well, it would have happened in any context. And it was it was just a tragedy and and it was better that that it happened in this way because it was at least in a in a comfortable home setting rather than hospital so yeah that was what we just thought that that that's not always the case and the 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 evidence that we had was that from people that were directly involved in some way in these cases was that they actually were avoidable and so we wanted to make that clear that some of these deaths that are occurring do appear to be avoidable because I think that women have a right to know that when they are choosing to have a planned free birth with a supporter or a birth worker who doesn't have clinical skills, clinical skills to know how to recognise an emergency. Um, and as much as these supporters can say that they provide information to these mothers that they don't have that clinical skill. Um, I think it's an interesting dynamic. And from others I've spoken to, you you lean on the people around you, you trust them when you're in labour. Um, and, you know, some women will free birth and they know exactly what they're doing. They trust their intuition. It all works out great, but it doesn't always happen like that. And I think that women do need to know what what's actually possible. Yeah. So I will say that we didn't start out looking for deaths. Hmm. Um, like we absolutely didn't. We looked, we started out one, wondering with an open mind why women were choosing free birth and wanting to learn more about this world. And and, and I was quite shocked when we discovered the first, the first death. Um, the others just kind of unfolded. So as we were doing our research, um, we found out about the first one, which was in Queensland um, with the student door. And then another one became... Uh, relatively public because the coroner announced an investigation that was in Toowoomba. And then we found out about the case study that formed 
sort of the basis for our story, which was on the Sunshine Coast. And again, confirmed it with the coroner, but it hasn't hadn't really been made public. Um, in total, there were seven baby deaths that we confirmed between, um, yeah, since 2022 and between 2022 and now. Um, and then we also found out about two catastrophic brain injuries involving babies. You know, a lot of the time this discussion is around life and death and not the in-between. And absolutely there are preventable injuries in hospital and that does happen. Um, and there are usually, you know, legal cases around that when that does happen if it's ne medical negligence. But um, we thought it was important to mention that there had also been brain injuries involved with free births mm. um, and two that we could confirm because that's a lifelong effect on that baby, but it's not really talked about very much. And what we know too is that free birth stats aren't collected. So there's no actual formal data collection process about the outcomes or even the number of free births that are happening here in Australia. So it's really hard to know if that seven is actually proportionate to the outcomes that would happen anywhere with a midwife at home or in hospital or whether or not this is a disproportionate number of poor outcomes? Well, because, that, that's an yeah. interesting question, definitely. But we didn't sort of just go headlong into this without considering that. And we actually spoke with perinatal mortality experts about the figures that we'd found. Mm -hmm. um, and there are other there there are other deaths going, that have been looked at in other parts of the country that we know about by these experts and that it's a similar kind of number in the same time period and they said that it is actually very high mm -hmm. and the reason that they say that is because yes we don't know the full number of free births that are taking place but a lot of these deaths happen at term mm -hmm. um, and in and around labor which is you know you know more about this than me but that's pretty rare in Australia very rare to have it's, it's incredibly rare to have a baby die at full term during labor so perinatal data about the deaths of babies from 28 weeks to 28 days postpartum mm. so that's 28 weeks of, pre um, of pregnancy all the way through the rest of the pregnancy during the labor and birth and 28 days postpartum it's somewhere between seven and nine per thousand well, we actually looked specifically into avoidable stillbirths for this other background briefing and looked at hospital births involving avoidable stillbirths. Mm -hmm. So I am definitely interested in avoidable stillbirths in any setting, including hospitals, and I've done work on that. It's 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 very rare after 28 weeks because, yeah, we have one of the lowest rates in the world and it's less than three per thousand. So, and that was, was that seven just in, in a particular catchment area? Yeah, so it was going to look at just southeast Queensland because we wanted to keep it focused because, you know, it's we're also storytellers, so it needs to be, you know, a story about a particular part of the world. But when the twins died, we needed to include that in the story because people knew about it and it was already public. So there were seven all up, and that was northern New South Wales and southeast Queensland. So it is a related geographic area, like there's a lot of crossover between communities and the lifestyle of some of these areas. But that doesn't include any, you know, anywhere else in the country um, where we know we don't, we do know that there have been other deaths. So 
look, I mean, it's not really about, I don't think, comparing the numbers in that hard and fast way because we just don't have the data on it. But what we can say is that they that they happened, that they happened at term and that they either happened just before, during or after labour, which is, it's a big deal and it's and it doesn't happen often in Australia. And I think, you know, there is this conversation obviously online around women making it clear that, and free birth advocates making it clear that death is a part of, life and death is a part of birth and that they don't shy away from that. So I think that we need we do need to be transparent about those outcomes. And and to be clear too, and this is what many free birth advocates and women and doulas are yelling at the podcast at the moment, is that uh death in birth can happen anywhere, at home with a private midwife, in hospital with all the possible medical care that's available. And that an inherent risk in giving birth is that you or your baby might not survive. What I guess we're kind of talking about today is that is it possible that with a growing free birth movement that there are deaths that wouldn't have occurred in different circumstances? And then women will argue that that avoidable deaths have happened in hospitals through negligence, through over-intervention. So that's all of that's absolutely true. Is that would be right? I mean, you can. Yes, there are avoidable there are deaths happening in hospital. Absolutely, it doesn't mean that there aren't um, avoidable deaths that happening in free birth. So, yeah. and and look, if people um, know all that and they still want to go ahead and do it, then you know, totally, it's absolutely their choice. But I haven't seen investigating this a huge amount of transparency about those outcomes in the discussion around free birth. There is a lot of positive messaging around free birth and a lot of the experiences are positive and they appear to be exhilarating and empowering and I'm very happy for those women to have had those experiences because they sound fantastic. But just because you have had that fantastic experience doesn't mean that every woman will. And some of the women have literally said free birth is for every woman, but I just... I don't think that that is a very responsible message to be sending about about birth and what we what are the risks and sometimes that doesn't happen in hospitals sometimes you might have an obstetrician who is telling you something that is really not evidence based and not in your best interests and it, the same goes you know they might have a particular agenda um, that you should be wary of and I think anybody that does have a particular agenda in birth you should be wary of because. Every woman's different and every birth is different. You know, and I actually have written a whole research paper about the the concept of risk and safety and how actually the concept of risk and safety is fluid and it's actually in the eye of the beholder. So it, the woman gets to decide where the safety and what what level of risk and safety she's willing to accept. And certainly the women who are choosing free birth look at their birth options and they see I mean, every birth option has risks and benefits. So there are massive risks and benefits to giving birth in hospital. There are risks and benefits to giving birth at home. And there are risks and benefits to having a free birth. And I I feel as though the majority of women and birth workers and midwives would accept that, that, yep, every single birth option has risks and benefits and that, and you could list 
all the benefits to free birth. You can list all the risks. You can list all the benefits and risks of hospital birth. But to deny them, I think, is the irresponsible thing. To deny that there could possibly be a risk is the irresponsible part. And the majority of women who free birth, well, this is what we found in, in my research. Again, if this doesn't speak true to you, then that's that's your own um, story. But the majority of women knew that there was a possibility that their baby might not survive. Hmm. But what they would be exposed to in hospital overwhelmed that was more overwhelming Hmm. the possibility that their baby might not survive in a free birth so women's previous experiences were a massive element and that should be the focus right there'll be some women obviously that say I don't need a reason to free birth it's always going to be the best option no matter what and that's fantastic for them but it's not always the case for women and if you are free birthing to avoid a hospital system that is so terrifying and traumatizing to you that you will do anything to avoid it. That is a problem we need to address. We need to look at our hospitals and we need to look at how we approach birth generally in Australia. I mean, it was so interesting to me to talk to doctors and obstetricians during this story, which we didn't actually include in the story in the end because we didn't think it was really necessary. But the um, their point was that most of the time it will go fine in a free birth. And I'm thinking, well, why don't you say, say yeah. that? publicly or why don't you act in that way when you approach birth in a medical setting you know why don't we do more of that like where women just take charge in a room in a setting where they can have access to medical people if needed but you know if they they can be the one that's leading the you know leading the process so there is a lot to you know the medical system has a lot to answer for in the fact that they acknowledge that home birth now Finally, they've acknowledged home birth is safe (laughs) with a midwife in attendance. And they'll also say that, yes, birth is a physiological process and a lot of the time free birth will be fine. Um, But instead we've got these just vast extremes, um, you know, which is like the way that Hannah Darwin described it as a massive chasm between two imperfect worlds. And I think that kind of sums it up. And obviously there will be people who disagree with me and say free birth is a perfect world. It's not, there's nothing imperfect about it, but I don't think you can ignore the the outcomes that we have um, found. I think that they are tragedies. You know, that's not the reason we went into this, but it was hard to ignore. Um, and it, that's just our little investigation. There are, um, there are bound to be more that we don't know about. And if they're avoidable, that's a problem because avoidable deaths aren't a good thing. And, and I think the majority of doulas and birth workers would be doing the right thing and actually just providing birth support as they say they should and within the bounds of their work as doulas. But there will always be, and this happens with home birth midwives too, I've been around for 16 years doing home birth and I've seen home birth midwives come and go, some of who we look at and go, ooh, I really question the uh, this kind of this type of the way that you're working um, and thankfully there's there's a regulation process that often will pull people into line and make sure that they're cl- working clinically safely and and prevent hopefully avoidable incidences from happening as much as possible um there's there's no regulation of of doulas and so although the majority would be doing the right thing and be completely fine and safe to be doing the work they're doing We've got to acknowledge that in all industries with midwives, doctors, 
and with doulas, there'll be a small proportion who aren't. Mm. So I'm I'm actually curious to know what you discovered about the culture that's growing around free birth and uh, workers who are working within the free birth. Yeah. Um, well, I agree with you that a lot of doulas do a fantastic job. And we, you know, we interviewed Renee Adair from the Australian Doula College, um, who obviously is opposed to doulas attending free births and have a, has a code of conduct around it. Um, and she's also opposed to regulation. So she doesn't want any regulation for doulas because that changes in her mind what doulas are in the fact that they're not part of the medical system. That's part of how they define themselves. She doesn't want them to be regulated and, 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 and neither do a lot of doulas, I imagine, want that. But her argument was then that if we want to stay um, unregulated, <clears throat> we need to stay in our lane and not cross over into what she regards as sort of lay midwifery, um, you know, dabbling in a bit of, oh, I can check the heart rate or, you know, she told me about... Um, you know, that she had heard of doulas bringing syntocin to births. You know, yeah. those are pretty, that is massively um, jumping outside of your scope as what, in terms of what you've been trained for. And if you're going, and the argument from many people I spoke with was if you're going to do that, then there's going to be some consequences. It's only fair. But if you didn't do that and you just stayed in your lane, provided that emotional support, then, you know, it, there's no argument for them to be regulated. But I think there is just such a big grey area at the moment with doulas and doulas who I've spoken to who've told me about, you know, even free birth doulas who I've spoken to who aren't happy with other free birth doulas going much further than they would. So there are there's just this enormous grey area. It's totally down to personal choices basically and and individuals and in the way that they're choosing to operate. And I think when you're dealing with something like birth where the stakes are pretty high, that's alarming um, that it's just down to individuals and, and what they decide to do. And the way to, yeah, one way to combat that, I think, is education for mothers. But there's just so much distrust out there at the moment um, of, in terms of medical institutions that it's, it's and, and you've got, you know, a world of influences and, um, and Instagram. And it's, I think it's hard to know where to get your trusted information from. Um, well, can you talk just a little bit about, because you, you have a, an article on this, a bit of an explainer about this, the background to this whole investigation. Yeah, so this, you know, not often you just put out an article and nobody can read the backstory behind it, but we thought with this story, because of how sensitive it is, it was a good opportunity to just put in a little bit more detail about the investigation itself. So we do have a story that's attached to the other story, um, which sort of just goes into that background investigation that myself and Andy Burns, who also worked on the story with me, um, what we went through when we were looking into this and that, that we did go in with an open mind and, um, you know, generally with the work that we do, we are pretty comprehensive with the research that we do. So, and we like to be you know, it was never meant to be a finger pointing exercise. Like it was, we'd like to look at a problem in a way that can maybe point at a solution or is just about, you know, 
public information, so, you know, public interest kind of story rather than let's blame somebody for this. So we do have that piece up online if anyone wants to read about what our sort of thought process was around this. You know, there are obviously privacy issues involved in telling these stories. Um, And the previous story that I did on preventable stillbirths in hospital, the two main women that we interviewed were the mothers. And so normally that's obviously the way that you want to do it because the mother's at the centre of the story. But it was more complex in this in this case and and all the people that I've spoken with who deal with free birth and especially in cases where things go wrong it is it's just a very difficult uh, it's just such a, a quagmire and so yeah we would have liked to have um, had the mother involved in this story but she didn't want to be involved and we did make the decision that because the story was already been had already been made public um, online. Her doula had posted about it in quite a lot of detail and images were posted, etc. Um, and because it was before the coroner that we de-identified the mother and the doula that we could still tell that story because there was a wider public interest and she wasn't this wasn't the only baby to have died. But that is all a very difficult um thing to grapple with as a as a journalist and and we did go through a really extensive process there and so we have written about that in that explainer piece um uh if anyone wants to read about it you know in the course of this and we talked about this in the story in the course of this investigation there was a lot of pushback from some of the sort of online free birth community and just really around us interrogating the the issue of free birth and the industry around it that didn't seemed to be a lot of, it was very negative that 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 process of investigation itself was seen as negative and we were described as part of the system because we were in the media and why do you think there was that response to when people start probing into free birth why hmm. do you think the community pulls away from that i asked hannah darling this question because um it's it's a good question and she said that with communities like this, I think a lot of the time, well, this is not her words, but she said that they can close ranks when there's outside sort of probing or, you know, interrogation. They're quite insular communities, they can be, and there's a lot of, like, there can be confirmation bias. So you don't generally have robust sort of discussions on these pages. It's people agreeing with each other. So I had a great free birth. It's amazing. I had a great free birth too. Isn't it fantastic? You know, and and if anybody says, "Oh, what about you know, you know," I've seen pages where a woman says, oh, "I've been amphia," and what what about me? And they say, "Well, it sounds like you're being pathologized." So there's you can do whatever you want, and there's no one coming in there going, "Hold on, maybe you should get a second opinion on that." You know, preeclampsia can be pretty serious. There, yeah, there's just this very circular conversation. So I don't think. In that um, particular community, there's a lot of willingness to have um, a robust conversation, which takes criticism and you know is up for a debate. It's mm. sort of up for debate. It's and I was I was I was told in no uncertain terms, unless you support free birth or unless you've had one, you can't do the story about free birth, and that is not really. Um, how we operate as journalists we don't do stories because we're supporting them or because we're directly involved in them Mm. that's the same when I did my PhD on free birth if you presented something that was clearly an opinion piece or just bolstering up something that you wanted to bolster 
it would not have been considered a rigorous project or thesis. It's just, well, you can't just present the information that you want presented. You actually have to present the full range of things. You know, this women who free birth and people who are involved in free birth, they're an, a traditionally ostracised group. They've been traditionally judged, called names, misunderstood, reported to family services. Some have had their babies removed from them. You know, they've been blamed. You know, the women that I interviewed for my PhD talked to me about, you know, what people said to them about their choices. And so it makes sense that they would flee from public view because historically they've been absolutely publicly vilified. Mm. And so then I think the immediate response is that this is a witch hunt. How dare they try and put rebirth in the spotlight? Somebody said, oh, you know, this whole story is just throwing a grenade into the free birth world and creating divisions. Mm. But what I think it's done, I don't think it's a grenade. I think it's shed light on things that are happening that perhaps the, the free birth community would rather not talk about and that there, there is a division uh, between various healthcare workers and, you know, the, a division of philosophies. But, yeah, I think there was a big reluctance because there was concern about what topics of free birth would be brought up. And, you know, I saw it on, on social media, you know, women were and birth workers and people saying, don't talk to the journalists. You know, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a witch hunt. So yeah. much this is already public. This is the problem that I have with that is that the, the entire movement is public. It's for there for everyone to see. So um, the idea that you can't answer questions about it from a journalist who, who, who genuinely wants to know is it just seems it, it's not consistent with the very public face that we're seeing at the moment. You can't just have a public face. Well, you can, but I, I think that it's better if we can have a conversation that's reasonable about that just acknowledges that, yeah, some some sometimes some really horrific things are actually happening. But you know what? The hospital system is also pretty stuffed at the moment. And the fact that women are choosing to just go alone or go um, it alone with a doula and sometimes do it out of fear of the hospital, that is a big problem. And we should not have a system in Australia like that that is the mainstream system. And that's the system that we've got at the moment. So that's that's the biggest issue, I think. And But we couldn't ignore at the same time this industry that's popped up where some pretty serious things are happening. And it's not to say that, you know, the women who genuinely think, you know what, I actually want to have a free birth for my very own reasons and that's what I'm doing, I don't think those are the women we're talking about. Absolutely not. Not the women we're talking about. No, I wouldn't want to. That's that's a private matter, like I said, and it's a grey area because you could argue, well, this is still a private matter, but it's not a private matter. I don't think when you have people getting paid to attend those births and they're ending in deaths or permanent injuries, then it it becomes of public interest because and the other thing that's like. Yeah, I think the other thing that's of public interest is the women who would have wanted a different, who would have wanted not to free birth, but felt forced, almost forced to free birth because it represents, often women free birth because it represents the best option available to them. 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily represent their first choice. And people who this was their first choice will say, well, that wasn't the reason that I chose it. Well, that's you. The other 80% of women mm-hmm. are choosing free birth because it was the best and safest option that they had available to them. And certainly the women I spoke to in my for my thesis said I would uh, many of them, 80% of them would have preferred to have a private midwife, but for various reasons, mm-hmm. couldn't access one. And so free birth became the best and safest option when they looked at all their other options. So I think that's the real issue is that the Australian maternity care system is not providing women with all the possible options that should be available to them if they want them. So we're not poo-pooing free birth. If you absolutely want to have a free birth, if all the other options just seem substandard in comparison, then that's your choice. But I think what does need to be fixed is the circumstance where women want maternity care but can't access it and so free birth becomes the next best option. And also the confusion between a doula and a midwife which I've heard from many people, is there. Um, And I don't think that is helpful to be confusing women in that sense. And they need to know what they're getting um, and and what they're paying for. Did you come across doulas who were actually providing clinical care or giving education that maybe steered women away from seeking medical care? Um. It's difficult to go into that because it wasn't in the story, um, but um, but there are certainly investigations that we know about that are taking place at a national level into that question of doulas providing medical advice or clinical advice when they don't have a qualification to do so. Um, but it's definitely, um, yeah, I, I think that there is an increasingly grey area that free birth doulas and birth keepers are operating in, particularly when they're the middle man or the middle woman between a healthcare provider and the mother, which is what's happening quite quite a bit. Mm. And if you're listening today, I would really encourage you, so below this podcast in the show notes is a podcast episode that Charlotte uh, produced all about this story that we're talking about. I actually think it was really factual and unbiased and just presented the reality of some of the stories that are just emerging about the about free birth outcomes and it would be amazing i mean it's it's entirely possible that that free birth is just as safe as all the other birth options we just don't know and so there's you know this question about is free birth dangerous or safe is hospital birth dangerous or safe and is home birth dangerous or safe? The only difference is that we have data to be able to make comments about hospital birth and home birth. And so anybody kind of pushing free birth as, you know, external to the woman, the women can make any choice they want because women can decide what represents safety and risk. But when you have an outside person suggesting that free birth is safe, or that free birth is dangerous, we can only go by what kind of data we're able to collect. And unfortunately, there's a data black hole around free birth. So nobody can say with absolute certainty that free birth is dangerous or that free birth is safe or that the outcomes would have been different based on a different 
birthplace. So I think also be cautious if anybody's saying, yep, absolutely, everyone should free birth. It's the same caution as somebody saying, yeah, absolutely, everyone should home birth or everyone should hospital birth. No one way of caring for a woman is the same for any woman. And um, uh, I guess, you know, at the end of the day, we're just telling a story and we're doing our best to do that in a fair way um, and to tell people what we've uncovered, what we've discovered. It doesn't mean that we're judging anybody for making these choices. Um, I've made it pretty clear in the story that women do have the right to give birth where and how they choose. And I I have deep compassion and sympathy for women who choose all kinds of contexts to birth because it's very personal. Um, but yeah, we our, our focus was on this industry mainly that's popping up around this and the and the influence that that industry and those advocates have on on a woman at a at a vulnerable time and particularly when that woman um has experienced previous hospital trauma and the like and i'm sure that women are very capable of making their own choices and making good decisions but if you're in this space i think you need to be careful about the messaging that you're putting out there and and you know having the odd disclaimer wouldn't go astray is it possible, and this is something I've wondered and haven't really voiced or aired publicly, so here we go, is it possible that there is a grooming process going on within the free birth movement to encourage women over to free birth rather than women making that decision freely? Is there a- That's not really a question for me um, because I'm not deep in it and I don't know how these people think and why they're making the decisions that they're making. But I will say that I listen to a lot of podcasts around this and it does start to affect you. There's so little doubt coming across in any of these podcasts. It is said with so much certainty that free birth is the answer that you start to you know, believe it. Um, and it is great that, that there are so many women that are getting, that you know, that are having this experience, especially women who've had horrible tra- trauma in hospital, that they're, you know, they have the right to an undisturbed birth, absolutely. And, um, you know, good uh, good on them for, for getting that. But, yeah, I think um, it's just so personal. And, and I think if you're getting this messaging, look, there's a, you know, the like in any context if the, there's there's a possibility for for being coerced into that and i have heard i've had i have spoken to women who have dealt with um uh women who've had free births with very strong willed birth keepers and and they've reported that you know some of these sort of free birth women have spoken in a similar way about their fears using the same kind of language, um, like around, you know, it's just my conditioning, the way that I'm like wanting a hospital, it's just my conditioning. I just need to, you know, get past that conditioning. And that kind of thing is a little bit concerning, I think, if it's not coming, it starts to feel like it's not coming from them so mm-hmm. much as the the, pe- the the birth worker that's that's influencing them. And I think that is something to be wary of. 
And you made comments, you know, when we chat on the phone many times about this story, is that even you having your own internal crisis, like your own internal truth was being challenged. Well, it wasn't so much that my internal truth was being challenged, but I was surprised to see the outcome, like the positive outcomes as well, you know, and and that's why we put that in the story because women have had twins and ended up fine and the twins are fine and I went into it thinking oh they must all die of course they're going to die you know they they don't have a midwife there they don't have a doctor and they haven't so um but then in other circumstances they have I just I find it pretty amazing and I think that the hospital system definitely can learn from the fact that women are having breech babies in free births that are fine and that is something that we should all think about but you know in the way that we approach bre- things like breech and another other kinds of pregnancies that the hospital doesn't, you know, freaks out about. But but at the same time, there's reasons, there's reasons that they freak out about those things because the the there are there are things that we have learned through science and through the medical system about those kinds of pregnancies. Um so yeah, I just think that there's a very big chasm between these worlds and it would just be fantastic if we could have a bit of middle ground where, you know, women were respected to have undisturbed births but had, you know, medical knowledge on hand when needed. Yeah, and the truth is is that most births will likely go fine with wherever you are, with whoever you've got, but there's a percentage of time where the birth needs assistance and, you know, with breach, for example, the, the thought is is that 70% of breaches, breach births, will occur unassisted, spontaneously, without anybody there. Great, 70%. The 30% of time where some knowledge is required on what should we do in this situation is where the health professional that's present at the birth can be of assistance. So there's no doubt that most free births will be fine. And that's not what's in contention here. That this is a discussion about the times when it's not and where the line is between the role of um, external people outside of the woman and the role that they're playing within the free birth world. And is this becoming problematic or not? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here, Charlotte. I reckon we could talk about this topic forever. And there's so many little avenues we could go down but I feel like we've really covered the crux of what your story was about Uh, for those of you who are still with us on this topic if you're on the mailing list for the Great Birth Rebellion podcast there is a full page of resources available where you can read all the articles that Charlotte's read and been talking about the podcast episode that we've been talking about my personal publications about free birth, uh, academic articles, my PhD. If you want to go deeper into some of the topics that we've been talking about, please know that every woman has a right to choose where and with whom she will have her baby. And we've just added our voice to this discussion on free birth today. So thanks again for being here, Charlotte. And that has been this week's episode of The Great Birth Rebellion today don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform and join our mailing list at melaniethemidwife.com mel sends out weekly emails with access to all the evidence we use in this podcast you can find out more about mel at melaniethemidwife.com and find out more about me b at coreandfloor.com.au 
We can't wait to bring you next week's episode of The Great Birth Rebellion. Yeah! Yeah! Um, <laughs> all right.